Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast. A, a podcast. That's it's it. a podcast. That's how. That's that's all we are now. We've it, stripped away our one identifying feature, and now we're now we're just a podcast. We talk about movies, and then we talk about movies a different way. So we talk about a movie, and then we talk about movies. Yeah, and not with any sort of like expert level knowledge or wisdom. Just like with the foolhardy buffoonery and unnecessary confidence that we can just kind of glide our way through it, that's what we do now. So if you missed it last week, which I don't blame you, kind of slipped it in the middle there. We are pivoting the direction of the podcast and the short version of what's happening is we just killed the improv segment. Everything else is staying the same for now, but that's not set in stone either. But at least for the next few weeks, for the foreseeable future, um, improv segment dead, rest of the podcast remains the same. Caught up? Cool. Let's move on. Um, I I don't know if this is interesting, which is a great way to start a conversation. Yes, love it. But I ordered takeout, and I ordered fries in this takeout. And it's from, I, well, I ordered pizza specifically, and I got fries with the pizza because they, uh, they were there, and I'm like, sure. And when I got the delivery, the fries were just loose in a brown paper bag and let me tell you nothing screams local pizzeria like just the greasiest fries with no like paper boat or anything just in a bag yeah see the only perspective i have for that is five guys whether that's like the gimmick is we give you more than what you think you need or than more than what you ordered but uh i feel like Paper bags mess with the consistency of a fry and local pizzeria has not done the research on how that's going to affect it. They're just like, <laughs> let's just find a vessel for these things because we need to get it out the door. I can buy a thousand brown bags for $5 on Amazon business and that's all we got. That's all we can do. Yeah. It's a logistics thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you bringing up Five Guys r- reminds me, so where where Alex and I grew up, our town, I don't know if it was a curse so much as it was a consequence of living in a town with under 10,000 people, where every big chain that was not already in our area that moved into our area never lived up to the hype of what it should have been, and Five Guys was like the prime victim of that, where I remember... Everybody was so excited for the five guys. We got the five guys and then nobody cared about the five guys. I think there is one business that would take off and that's Chick-fil-A, dude. I th- yeah. It's uh, it's very Southwest Michigan conservative community and it would murder. Five oh, yeah. guys is just a burger place. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Every time I go home, I'm like, it becomes less and less romantic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, that place is closed down enough. Now the third restaurant is taking that spot. I'm like, has no one figured this out yet? I, I no moving to even a slightly bigger city makes you realize, holy smokes, our town was small, dude. And I know it gets smaller, but like when you're in it, it doesn't feel small. The, did you have a metric on, I, I, I'm going to tell you my metric of how I knew that we were in a small town compared to where both of us are now, which is we both left our town. You left in 2015. I left in 2017 ish. And when we left, like 
Uber, DoorDash, any sort of like third-party delivery was non-existent. It had to be from the company and that's it. I'm sure now like Uber exists, but like when I moved to a city and I didn't have to think about like, oh, do they have DoorDash here? Like that's when I'm like, I've made it. Yeah. My big metric is how far away is the is the nearest airport. Like big airport that's because right now South Bend would probably be our biggest one. That's close. Um, but it all all flights get directed through Chicago. So I'm like, where's the closest airport that has nonstop flights? And if ours was two hours away, dude, that's so far. So when I went to college, I was actually, so I was doing this really dumb thing today where I was looking at my college town on Google maps just to see how small it actually was. Mm -hmm. And like you could fit the entire important part of the town I went to college in like in a single phone screen and all of the details are still showing. And I was like, ah, yes, this is familiar. Yep. This is the one road that leads through town. And even that town had a small airport. So I'm thinking like, how, what is a job at an airport in a town of like 2,500 people? Like, is there just one security attendant and like one Starbucks barista and that's it. Dude, like I bet you the airport employees, this is not a joke, probably 30 people between custodians, yeah, security, uh, people who work, who work at the airport, but don't work for the airport, like run kiosks, probably like 30, 40 people total. Total. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and what, and you also think like, what is security at a place like that? Is it pretty much just like, Hey, even if you are going to perform an attack, you'll have like a, you'll have a body count of like eight. So like, whatever. It's like, let me call the police. <laughs> yeah. Let, I don't do anything or else I'll call the cops. That's security. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's move into our movie. We are continuing in our theme of movies that I definitely should have watched. And it's kind of crazy that I haven't. And we are watching Prince of Egypt. If you don't want to hear us talk about this movie in any way, shape, or form, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code, 32 minutes, 25 seconds. So I'm going to be, I'm going to say something stupid and you just have to accept the fact that it's going to be stupid. Sure. Um, I knew this movie was Prince of Egypt. I knew this movie was about Moses. I didn't fully comprehend how biblical it was going to be until I was in it. Like I expected them to focus way more on like Egyptian theology than biblical theology. Well, it does start off pretty high on Egyptian theology. And then he finds out he's Jewish and he's like, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so if you have not watched the Prince of Egypt, um, it is the story of Moses And if you don't know the story of Moses, (laughs) let me break that down for you. Um, So basically, it's about this guy who was born into Egyptian slavery, a Hebrew slave, and his mother sends him down the river for a better life, praying to God to guide him to a better life. He gets picked up by the Egyptian royalty and gets raised as a prince of Egypt. And then when he learns, oh, I'm not a prince, I'm a Hebrew, I should be a Hebrew slave, he dips 
entirely and is spoken to by God to free the Hebrew slaves. And that's the movie. Yeah. And a bunch of miracles here and there. Plagues. Pretty big part of this movie. But yeah, you pretty much nailed it, dude. He's raised along a brother who is the heir to the throne. And half, uh, I mean, the first act of the movie is him and his brother, early 20s, teenagers, yeah. something around there, um, interacting, growing Young up together. Adults. And that's when Moses finds out. And then he comes, when he comes back, Ramses, Ramses is now the king, is now the pharaoh. So he has taken over. And that's, um, there's a love interest in there. I mean, that's pretty much it. Not, not wholly relevant. Not wholly <laughs> relevant. I think so much of this movie is like, we're going to include it just because it happened in the Bible. Not because it's necessarily important to the story. Now, here is where I'm going to draw my main critique of this movie. Now, we're going to be walking a pretty thin line here because this movie goes out of its way to be like in- pretty biblically accurate right. with um, a few fictitious moments thrown in here and there. This is a DreamWorks movie, so you get like some of that stereotypical DreamWorks humor is still thrown in there. Um, but like none of it's distasteful or anything. Um, but my main criticism of this movie is I think it requires a little too much prerequisite knowledge of the story. They blow over a few things that I, as someone who is not wholly familiar with the story, would have liked a little more context with. Okay, I gotta I wanna know what that was, because none of it went over my head. I mean, I'm I've been in it for a long time. So what? And I've seen this movie a billion times. I owned this movie growing up on VHS. I um, watched it all the time. So I may have not been paying attention enough to have noticed it, but they don't mention Hebrews specifically until he finds out he's a Hebrew. They like it's like they, general they, slaves. Yeah. Then you find out he's a Hebrew, and then yeah, that's when you find out. No, that's that's explained in the movie. Um, I guess you could have known that earlier, but that doesn't really change the movie i don't think it would have been i think as far as storytelling goes you should probably bring up stuff before it becomes relevant and not only bring things up when it furthers the story um but yeah i see your point and that's the thing that i had is like um moses is standing up against this huge mural of um of his adoptive father um sacrificing hebrew hebrew children to like keep the population in line and he's like I'm Hebrew, and I'm like, whoa, we're 30 minutes in, and you're just now bringing up the Hebrew aspect? Like, um, a little sooner would have been nice. And then when um, uh, Ramesses and Moses are kind of doing, like, the dueling gods scene at the end of the second act, and um, they start bringing about plagues and whatnot, they are not very explicit in... um, Oh, the specific plagues that come down? Yes, And so the main thing that I like recognized because of approximate knowledge is like when everybody started getting like boils and rashes and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, I recognized that I'm like, Oh, we're in the plague section now. And again, a little more, um, a little less implied plague and more explicit plague would have been nice. I think they did that and brushed over it because it's not a kid's movie, but because it's animated, they're like, a lot of kids are going to see this, and it's PG. If we go too deep into the plagues, this is going to be PG. Because the movie's already dark. People die. Yeah, There's, like I said. People are getting like I said, <laughs> Like I said, there is a pretty, uh, um, the adoptive father, um, Seti, is 
not subtle about the fact that he is a brutal dictator. He vocalizes his hatred for the slaves frequently, and they are constantly dehumanized. Um, so, like, yeah, it, like you said, it's pretty dark. Um, as far as uh, production quality goes, I really like the animation in this. Yeah, there, it, it is, there are a few moments where... Um, so this movie was made in 1998 and the years previous, and this was the time when um, big studios were fine-tuning 3D animation, and there are some moments where the blend between 2D and 3D is really well done, and there are some parts where it's not as much. Right. <laughs> um, Like, the scene where Moses parts the Red Sea is so incredibly gorgeous it's it is crazy beautiful. dude i was watching that i'm like this is impressive today it was yeah nuts dude but there are some scenes like when the basket is floating down the river and the basket yep. is 3d mm -hmm. but the river and all the people aren't it it gets a little flimsy there um but not enough to like really make a big stink about it um the cast is so there's Dude, a it's, it's a stacked, stacked. Cast. it is stacked bro i'm scrolling there's like 11 celebrities in this which is pretty impressive when there's only 16 like speaking parts. characters yeah yeah it's crazy bro so you got val kilmer ralph fines michelle pfeiffer sandra bullock jeff goldblum danny glover patrick stewart helen mirren and then Steve Martin and Martin Short. And or, then or, also they, James Avery. Yeah. Uncle Phil from, uh. <laughs> from Prince of Bel-Air. It's dude. They, when casts are this stacked, I'm like, they don't have enough money for writers and story. It's not going to be good. I.E. cats. Like if you put <laughs> all of your money and what was that Christmas movie that we hated that I've blacked out of my memory? They had a bunch of celebrities in it and the guy showed up. Oh, Love Actually? Love Actually. When you throw a bunch of celebrities <laughs> in a movie, it's going to suck because you don't know who to focus on. I guess the good thing about like voice actors is like you're not you could be distracted by voices, but it, it doesn't happen nearly as much as being distracted by characters like the actors on screen. Dude, all of them were great. Everybody and also, was great. Because, and also this movie is um, effectively 90 minutes. Yep. And a lot of this movie is visual. Like, I would say there is maybe 20 minutes where no... Eh, that's, a, that's a lot. But there's a, there's a good amount of time in this movie where no one is talking or singing. It's all visual storytelling. So, when you break it down, Val Kilmer and Ralph Fiennes are really the only characters that talk a lot yeah. for more than one scene. Yep. Um, I, but this does, I'm doing all this to transition into my least favorite part of this movie mm -hmm. and it is Steve Martin and Martin Short. Oh um, no, dude. I like that. Nah, distractingly not ent entertaining. They have a song where, um, when Moses comes back and he's like, I've oh. been chosen by God oh, playing to free with the, the big slaves. boys now, dude. Yeah. And, and Ramesses is like, Hey guys. Um, tell him that he's in over his head. And like Alex said, they have a song called you're playing with the big boys now. And that song goes on forever. And it's not vocally interesting. It's hardly visually interesting. And I just wanted it to be over as soon as possible. 
it killed the momentum of the story. I also realized, and I, I could pick up on this quickly, they had straight up singing doubles. Like the actors, yes. the voice actors were not the same people singing. And you could tell. Um, um, Ralph Fiennes and Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, are the two that did have voice And then playing doubles. with the big boys is also Steve Martin and Martin Short. But like. Yes. Yeah. Everyone else has a double, dude, which is fine. Um, like, yeah, if you want to yeah, get yeah. a great actor to do voices that people recognize and then just, you know, have someone else do the singing. It's great because the singing in this movie, there's only a few songs. Um, I was a little worried because we've done so many musicals that this is going to be overwhelming. There's like six and they're bangers, dude. There's a couple in there that are awesome. Yeah. Um, were you in choir the year we sang, I believe, or when you believe? I don't think so. I don't, okay, I don't remember. We, I just straight up don't remember. It sounds um, familiar. I can see the sheet music. I don't know if I sang <laughs> it or if it was just Corral or if I was out and I was there. I don't know, but um, it's good. Yeah. So we sang when you believe when I was in choir in high school. And that's like my only familiarity with this song or with this show. Um, and it is the last song they sing. Yeah. So I was kind of like, wait, okay, what, when are we going to get to the song I know? At the very end, Craig, that's when we get to it. The Oscar winning um, song, dude. Yeah, and it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, Plagues is my favorite, my, though. My one complaint about the music is um, is there were a lot of choral numbers, a lot, a lot of numbers yeah. that had a big uh, choir behind it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the arrangement for the choir could have been more complex, specifically the opening number. I felt like was very simple and straightforward, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when it's your opening number and you're doing a, some, a movie to like the scale that this has been done, I, I was hoping for a few more layers of music on that song. Um, when you believe kind of has more is kind of solves that problem. But again, I think I think that the writers of this are talented enough that they could have gone the extra mile. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is going above my head a bit because like music is I'm not saying music is music because I did choir a little bit, but like I could see myself singing these songs as far as the layering and complexity is what it is if I, it's, i'm going off of straight up did i like the song or not sure um, and i liked i really liked half the music the half that i didn't really like was still good enough that it didn't bother me uh playing with the big boys is the outlier though when it comes up i'm like this feels a little out of character <laughs> feel like playing with the big boys when we're when a dude's staff just turned into a cobra feels a little weird doesn't match the vibe um, so Hans Zimmer produced a lot of the music in this movie. Um, and I want to talk about Stephen Schwartz for a second. So sure. Stephen Schwartz is, is most known for in the public for being the composer and writer of Wicked. And he's done other stuff along the way, but like Wicked is like, that is him. He did Wicked. Mm -hmm. um, and so whenever I go back and I see Stephen Schwartz's name on a project, I'm like, oh, Stephen Schwartz. And then I look at his credit a little further. Um, he has done way more lyrics to things than actual composition. So, like, I know he, I know he did composition for Godspell and Wicked. And, and then you look through, like, all of the other stuff. It's like, Pocahontas, lyrics for. Um, <laughs> Prince of Egypt, lyrics for. Enchanted, lyrics for. 
Susical lyrics for. I'm like, Steven, write some songs. Dude's a, dude, he's a songwriter. He's a songwriter and he <laughs> specializes on the word part. And he does well. I mean, all this stuff is He does well. He does well. well known. I did it's like it's just like one of those things where um it, it feels like the the musical equivalent of being like, is anybody here a doctor? I am. Can you save me from a heart attack? No, I got my PhD in literature. Yeah. I mean a little <laughs> close, but I see your point. Um <laughs> it'd be like, is anyone here a doctor? This guy's having a heart attack. Be like, I'm a chiropractor and be like, not quite. So close. Not not quite. <laughs> I I know what you're going for. Doesn't really help with the problem right now. <laughs> um but overall, I think this movie is I think very simple on purpose. Yeah. Um it tackles a very heavy subject matter and to transform what that story is into something that can be produced for PG audiences. Like that is a monumental task. And I think it was accomplished pretty well. Um, I think as far as like being one of DreamWorks first movies, it was, I'm pretty sure it was ants and then this. So like, I mean, not not a a bad $70 million budget. They bet the house on this thing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And it's a, it's a technical, it's a beautiful movie. That being said, it yeah. feels like this movie is almost made for adults to appreciate and not for kids to watch, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's now that we're kind of talking about it in this sphere, it does feel kind of like a tech demo. Yeah. That's it, like, hey, here's our audition to be a major animation studio. It's really good. There's not a lot of substance, but I promise you we'll give you more substance in future movies. I, it, For me, the only thing I can compare it to just in recent knowledge is like Spider-Verse. It's just being like, it's so different than everything else. But Spider-Verse also had, you know, Spider-Man had a whole universe that everyone's already familiar with. I guess this also had a universe people were pretty familiar with. Um, <laughs> uh, but the story translated to, you know, both audiences and kids and, you know, had a bunch of like diversity and whole thing. But as far as it's like, we're going to create something that's completely different than what you've been seeing. And that in and of itself makes this movie important. And then we'll decide whether or not it's like entertaining or, you know, good. I, I was going to say good. <laughs> it is good. But it was like, I think they they worked so hard to one, not piss a bunch of Christians off. Like, let's stick to two to the Bible as close as we can. Two, we're going to blow a bunch of money on voice acting. And then we're going to hire the best musicians we can and songwriters and composers. And then we got to make the whole thing technically and visually beautiful. Now, if all that we have time to put together an entertaining plot, then great. But the plot was written thousands of years ago and there's not much we can change. So this is kind of the best we can do. (laughs) I think if they were going to put together a tech demo, a biblical story is not the one to start off with because you can't change much. You can't, you're not allowed to. At least when you're doing superhero movies, you can just be like, oh, this one's not canon, and I'll just do whatever I want. We'll just call it what if and then make some stuff up. But this, like, uh, it was a bold move. It paid off. It made a bunch of money. Um, the music won an Oscar, so, like, I think it's successful. Um, but I remember, first of all, first thing I thought when this movie started is, like, this makes me want to play Assassin's Creed. And the oh, second yeah. thing I thought uh-huh. was, holy crap, this movie is so heavy. There's dudes getting whipped, bro. <laughs> it's crazy 
Yeah, I kind of, um, you know, swept over one of the more important plot beats is that um, when Moses decides to, like, leave because he realizes he's Hebrew, um, another kind of catalytic event for that is um, he kills a guy <laughs> on accident, but, like, he sees... Um, a slave driver whipping a slave and he goes, I don't like that. And instead of, you know, grabbing his arm, he just full on tackles this dude off of a, off of scaffolding. And, and like the slave driver falls off the scaffolding. I know a good 80 feet into jagged wood. Very dead. And yeah, like undeniably dead. And Ramesses is like, it's okay. Don't worry about it, dude. We're royalty. Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah, whatever. we can kill, we can kill people all the time. <laughs> Don't worry about it, bro. Um, he's like, but again, to talk, he's like, this doesn't make you a bad person. Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> um, you think you're gonna go to jail for this? We don't go to jail. Say, and, um, excuse me, and move on. But to circle back to another point, we kind of rushed through is like the love interest is set up to be like one of the major players in this movie. Like she has a, she has like an extended sequence in the first act. That's like, okay, this is really going to be important. And then she gets like one more scene with dialogue and that's it. Yeah. I think she was, I don't know how, I don't remember her in the Bible. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, probably should have read it before. (laughs) I'm not going to read the entire book of Exodus before I do this podcast. Um, in the movie, she's a plot device. To save him from the desert. Yeah. That's it. And also the bar is super low in terms of like him. He, he had a quick turnaround and his, his existential crisis did not last very long. So Moses is out in the desert. He gets saved in the desert by Michelle Pfeiffer's character. And he talks to God in the burning bush. And after he's done with that, he goes to like the family and he goes, God has chosen me to like, be a messenger, but I'm not a good enough person to be a messenger of God. And like the dad goes, but you saved my daughter. And then you also saved the other kids from bandits. You're a good person. And Moses is like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I am. And I'm like, okay, that didn't take much convincing. Okay. I think we're getting a little bit confused chronologically, but I see your point. I see your point. I think, yeah. That, here's the problem with this. This is biblical movies are not supposed to be PG, dude. There's a whole five minute sequence of this where basically the angel of death comes down and just murders a bunch of firstborns. Oh my god, you're right. It oh is my god, you're right. Almost scary how that is set up. And I'm like, this movie was not supposed to be PG. And that part um followed through on my criticism of the other stuff that where it was kind of vague. Like there is a voiceover that says, take the blood of lamb, mark the doors that you wish to protect, and I will kill the firstborns of every other house. It is explicitly described like that. And I was like, whoa, that's, um, that's kind of intense. Yikes. Well, the, the plagues kind of, it showed, showed you how it escalated. Cause that was the 10th plague is the killing of the firstborn. There was nine before that, um, where it was just dark. Crops were dying. The sun never came out. There was the boils. They killed the livestock. There was lice. There was locusts that were eating crops. Like, it was so bad already that he's like, what more needs to happen? Do people need to start dying? And then that's when he talks to Ramses and his son comes out and he goes like, do this for your son. It's going to get bad. 
He's like, don't talk to my son. You don't, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, I know what's going to happen. And it's not going to be good. That this I did This movie's like. That, well, oh, oh, <sighs> that was a surprise to me. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things that like, uh, I almost felt bad for them. Yeah. I'm oh, like, yeah. Uh, hey, man. The reason all of this is happening is because your Pharaoh is, uh, and they, they call him out on his pride over and over again. Be like, he's too prideful. He's too prideful. I'm like, this guy just played chicken with God <laughs> and said, you won't though. You won't. And he did. And it was scary because you don't see anyone die, but like it's done in a scary way where you just see like a kid walk into a building and then you hear him drop the pot that he had. Or you'll see them like take their last breath. I'm like, this movie's PG, bro. Make it PG-13 and then make it more biblically accurate or or don't make the movie almost. Because it's it's almost not doing to service what actually happened. And you like it just feels weird, if that makes sense. And it felt weird when I watched this movie as a kid. Like, should I be watching this? Did you watch this with your kids? Yeah, I watched this with Willow. Sure <laughs> How'd did. she take it? Um, because if you're a kid and, and you're not picking up on the voiceover and the dialogue and you're not listening to the lyrics and the songs, none of this means anything. Sure. Yeah. So there's frogs in people's tubs and in their house. So what? So that cow just fell over. So what? So a white light came from the sky and now people are dropping things. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't mean anything, you know? Sure. And that's kind of what I figured. I was I was just curious. I mean, she was way um, more scared of like home alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just kind of be like, hey, we're going to circle back to this in five years and then you'll be scared of this movie. Yeah, I've realized that like she doesn't pick up on vibes. She picks up on actions. This movie has a heavy vibe. It's just heavy. But like what you see, you see whipping. And then you see a guy fall, but there's no blood. I think that's the rule of PG is like, you got to keep the blood to a minimum. So sure. like, you don't see very much. Um, but like, if you see like Finding Nemo and Bruce goes like into frenzy mode, that's pretty scary stuff. So I think they skirted the line. They knew exactly what to do and what not to do in order to get this rating. And apparently yes. it worked. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think at the end of the day, this is a cool movie that suffers in its storytelling by length, by rating, and by source material. Yeah. this Some things are not supposed to be adapted into movies. And I think the only reason this got picked is because it's very well-known and clear and uh, doesn't make a good reference for a movie. Um, But it's still compelling. It's still beautiful. There's still... There is still more good about this movie than bad. Right. So when we... And again, we, we've made this distinction before, but like when we are critical about a movie like this, it's usually because it's so close. Right. Like it, it, it means that it's a good movie and it's an inch away from greatness. Um, so I'm pro I'm going to set it at seven and a quarter. All right. I'm doing seven, seven, five. Yeah. So like, yeah. Same page. Totally. Uh, there are a couple of things that keep it from getting to an eight. Uh, it's yeah, it just the tone feels off or maybe it's perfect, but like it doesn't feel right. Something feels off. And I think we just spent, you know, the last 30 minutes trying to figure out what that was. And maybe we're completely <laughs> wrong. Like Craig said in the beginning, like 
Our only credibility is that we watch a lot of movies. That's it. I mean, it doesn't mean we didn't go to school for this. We just watch a lot of movies. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Okay. Well, now we're going to welcome back our non-movie listeners. And we're going to do um, another heavy movie-based segment. Crazy. Um, <laughs> um, so, this is the last thing that I've kind of kept in my pocket from our um, yearly wrap-up that I've kind of been waiting to do. And I want to go through my 2023 Letterboxd statistics page um, and shine, shine a spotlight on some things. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I think in my year in review... Um, I watched 200 unique movies and 203 movies overall. So in that I rewatched three movies in one um, year. You rewatched three movies. I don't like rewatching movies. I no, but I'm uh, surprised it's that much because you saw them that year. I'll rewatch movies that I haven't seen in like two years, three years, but I don't rewatch movies the same. That like never happens. Um, It'll make a lot more sense when I tell you what the movies are. Okay. Okay? Yes. The first one was The Whale because I watched that movie in January and (laughs) November. That tracks. That makes sense. And then the next one is Star Trek Into Darkness. And then the one after that is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. So the three movies I did rewatch were incredibly on brand for me. It's not like I'm like, yeah, we're going to watch Mario for a fourth time tonight. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, if, I, I guess I was preparing for like Barbie because you work at a theater and maybe you saw it one yourself and then your friends wanted to go and then you just go with them. But like, yeah, no, um, I even then, like the only movie that I think I've rewatched in theaters since starting working there was Spider-Man No Way Home. That's fair. And Thor Love and Thunder. I, yeah. And Encanto, I think. Um, but yeah, so like uh, literally a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can go down even further into my statistics. I want you to guess of the seven days of the week, which day do you think I watched the fewest number of films? Saturday. Whoa, I'm I'm kind of impressed. I'm going to be honest. I thought you, yeah, it is Saturday. I had to do, audience, he's going to cut out a 20-second pause. I had to think about that one. <laughs> to the point where I thought we disconnected. <laughs> yeah, I, I know Craig very well. That's why a lot of these, we, every time we do quizzes, I can figure it out. But like, I know his work schedule because I know when we can record. I know when we yeah. have to watch movies. <laughs> Because we have a recording coming up and we record very often Monday, Tuesday. And I yeah. also know when you work and I know when you have free time. So Saturday makes the most sense. So, yeah, my most watched days are Monday in first place and then Friday in second place. Hell yeah. For bro. those exact reasons. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and then going down. So I have one, two, three, four, five actors all tied for my most watched actors and you can definitely guess one well maybe not but i'm gonna say it to you i'm gonna say them to you and they're gonna make so much sense because it's leonard nimoy from star trek chris pine carl urban from lord of the rings and star trek peter cullen from all of the transformers movies stanley tucci just because you know He's Stanley Tucci. And he's um, in Star Wars movies. I mean, uh, Transformers movies. He's in both. Yeah, and 
and Woody Harrelson because I watched the um, Hunger Games franchise this year. Yeah, that tracks. Um, I knew it was going to be someone in Star Trek. I'm so out of the loop that I went to Next Generation, the new generation one. Yeah. That, like the old ones. I mean, I literally, once you said Nimoy, I'm like, well, that's the only one I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then for directors, I have three tied most watched directors. Spielberg. And you can definitely guess two of them. Yeah. One of them is Spielberg. Bum, bum, bum. Not Nolan. Greta Gerwig. Nope. No, she doesn't have enough movies out. Uh, wouldn't be Cameron. Is it a big one? Yeah, it's a big one. Wouldn't be Cameron. Wouldn't be Scorsese because he only did Taxi Driver. Um, Michael Bay? Yeah, uh-huh. It's uh, Steven Spielberg, Michael Bay, and Hayao Miyazaki. Hell, dude. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And so uh, the, the other thing, all this is lead up to... Talk about my favorite statistic that Letterboxd collects because I think it is completely nonsensical. They have this um, bracket. They have this category for themes and nano genres. And it gets to a point where I kind of feel like they're just making stuff up. I've um, seen I've been on the Letterboxd subreddit. People love posting these because so the themes that my most watched themes are emotional and captivating fantasy storytelling pretty wordy but i get what you're going at here um superheroes in action-packed battles with villains what else are superheroes doing that's why did you have to superhero movies and then immediately below that epic heroes yeah i know you already said that (laughs) is it just heroes without superpowers (laughs) um so just to give you like a taste the Epic Heroes has um, Star Trek, X-Men, G.I. Joe, John Wick, um, Hunger Games, and then the superheroes and action-packed fighting villains has Star Trek, Transformers. So maybe maybe the Epic Heroes is more like generic action without so much like um, – a good versus evil aspect to it. Gotcha. Cause like in John, like John wick is not a story of good versus evil. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's just shootouts. And then in nano genres, we have fighting, cool, menacing, as well as suspense, guns, action packed, <laughs> as well as explosives, enemies, and excitement. Dude, Again, I feel like this white of- male in his <laughs> yeah. early twenties. Well, okay, hold on. That's most watched. Once I flip over to highest rated, then we get to sins, forgiveness, and challenging faith, emotional (laughs) LGBTQ relationships, emotional and touching family dramas. Maybe a little more on brand? Yeah, that's what you need to put on your (laughs) Tinder. There's there's a dichotomy myself. Who I am with the boys, who I am with you. (laughs) Um, And again... I really, I just like, I'm such like a statistics nerd when it comes to stuff like this. It also shows me my highest rated, sorry. It also shows me the highest average movie I've watched, the lowest average movie I've watched, the most popular and the most obscure. How do you have a lowest Um, average? It's the the lowest or uh, the average, right? It's the lowest rated average and the highest rated average. So uh, my highest rated average in turn, like- um, my highest rated average is Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. How is it, so, how can you have an average? You already rated it once it, across li- all rating. It's it, it's the user base average. 
Oh. So what movies have I watched that has the highest user average rating? Got you. Makes sense? That makes sense. Yes. Okay. So this is, these are the ones that, what's, what did you rate high that other people also agree with? And what did you rate low that um, other people also agree with that's rated low? Not even not even rated. What have you watched that people like? And what have you watched that people hate? Oh, do you watch things and not rate them? No, but I'm saying that it doesn't measure your rating okay. when it comes up with this category. Got you. That's fair. Um, so my highest rated, so my highest average, like I said, is Return of the King. My lowest average is Cats. Um, yeah, that and then my mo- makes and perfect then- sense. My most popular, no surprise, is Barbie. And my my most obscure is my favorite one because that's the one that has been shifting the most. Um, when I started the year, it was um, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Netflix reunion special. Yeah, that tracks, uh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty obscure. And then after, and then a, a little bit later in the year, it was the Ben Ten made for TV live action movie. Um, why? So okay. Th- so why do you watch these? There's so much, there's so many movies out. Why so do you watch those? The Power Rangers one was because it was like the, th- it was like the 25th anniversary or the 30th anniversary. And I'm like, I watched all of the Power Ranger shows as a kid. Of course, I'm going to watch this obvious nostalgia bait. Um, and then for the Ben 10 one, it was because I had finished watching I rewatched the Ben 10 original series just because it was easy, like popcorn television. And so when I finished it, I'm like, I want to watch the live action movie and see how well that holds up. Guess what? It doesn't. Yeah. I remember watching it and I'm like, this is bad. dude. (laughs) I was young. Um, And then my most obscure, meaning the one that I have watched with the fewest ratings is Lady Ballers. Um, so <laughs> can't say I'm exactly surprised Forgot on that one. That. <laughs> oh, believe me, Letterbox does not let me forget that I watched that. Jeez. Like I said, it is you it and is, six other people really like the movie Ladyball. I can tell you exactly how many. Um, me the, the and audience is gonna have 2,500 m- other people. Yeah, but give them a scale so they know how low that is. They usually live in like the 200 to 600,000 range. And Lady Ballers Um, has 2,500. Like even Mad Max, like the original Mad Max has almost 300,000 watched users on it. So um, to hit 2,500 is pretty crazy. Um, I talked about Stretch, right? Um, that Patrick yep. Wilson, Chris Pine movie that has 12,000 total. Okay. And that movie came out in 2014. <laughs> that movie has had some time to cook. That's um, great, dude. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to go over some of my letterbox stats cause it's my, I pay 20 bucks a year for me to look at all these like fun little movie numbers. And it makes me feel like I'm more involved with cinema than I actually am. It's like, oh, wow, you watched 200 movies this year? I'm like, yeah, eight of them were Transformers movies. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. I'm excited for us to do this with you next year. Yeah, sweet, dude. Uh, I'm going to put just as much work into this. And I'm sure we're going to find there's a little overlap. And then there's going to be, I mean, I am skewing my results with this comedy binge I'm doing. I'm yes. going to wreck my stats, but 50 plus 50 to 60 movies 
I'm going to have directly overlap with you. So I'm, I'm interested to see if those, those show up on both of ours. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, Alex, what do you have for our one hit? So the 2023 Emmys just took place because they got postponed okay. because of SAG. I've pulled the last five winners for best comedy series, best drama series, and best limited series, uh, including this year. So 23, 22, 21, 20, and 19. I want you, so I'm going to give you, we're starting with 19. We'll do comedy, drama, and limited series. I want you to tell me which one of them is worthy of watching, which one of them is worthy of winning an Emmy, and which one you would nominate for us to watch for the podcast if we pivoted and did TV shows. Okay, here's my disclaimer. I don't watch a lot of television. Oh, dude, I haven't seen a bunch of these. Other people do. Don't even worry about it. And I watch, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. I want to so make I what's just worthy of watching, worthy of winning, worthy of watching for the podcast. So right. 19, the comedy that won was Fleabag. The drama that won is Game of Thrones. And the limited series that won is Chernobyl. Okay. So Chernobyl, I feel like would be the one we watch on the podcast because okay. it's like, it, I think it would give us a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't know much about I, it. I think Fleabag would be the one that like, hey, just watch it on your own time. Because from what I understand, Fleabag is very, it, it's one of those like comedy for comedians shows. So like, I don't think everyone would be into it from what I understand. And yeah. so Game of Thrones winning drama, especially in 2019, like that, that makes sense. Uh, Fleabag beat out Russian Doll, which is great. The Good Place, Barry, Veep, my, dude. I don't know what Fleabag is or who's in it or what's it about, but it Phoebe beat out some freaking top contenders in 2019. All right. We're going to see uh, this one come up a lot. Uh, drama that one for 2020 was Succession. <laughs> uh, limited series is Watchmen. Comedy is Shit's Creek. That was 2020. So which okay. one's winning, worth a watch, worth watching for the podcast? So Shit's Creek is one of those... As someone who has never watched Schitt's Creek, this is my blanket statement for it. Is it feels like arrested development for wine moms. You know, that's so fair. That's totally I fair. I don't really think that's going to be my speed. So I'm going to leave that one as the watch at your own pace or, you know, watch as you please. Yeah. Um, that leaves Succession and Watchmen. Succession is, I have no desire to watch Succession. Everything that I've seen about Succession, it just looks like a bunch of people yelling at each other. And as I've discussed before with shows like The Bear and The Morning Show, I'm not super interested in that genre. <laughs> um, so that one, fine. Let's let it win an award. If it means I don't have to watch it, fine. And, I'm, and I'd be interested in watching The Watchmen Show for the show, for the podcast. I got to be better at speaking words. It's all good. Um, so Succession in 2020 beat out Better Call Saul which I saw, Killing Eve, Ozarks, Stranger Things, Handmaid's Tale, Mandalorian, and The Crown. Now, this goes back to Fleabag. This show must be amazing. <laughs> yeah, people, Succession is like, and Succession just ended. It, yeah. It's fourth season, what is its final? And people gave it like, it is one of the most ceremonious television send-offs since like The Wire. Yeah, it's, uh, that's insane. All right, moving on to 21. Comedy that won, Ted Lasso. Drama, The Crown. Limited series, Queen's Gambit. Um, Queen's, I'm, 
here's the 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 slight flaw in this is it makes way more sense for us to watch a limited series on the podcast. So I'm always drawn to that one. Yeah, but I get it. Um, I, I want to say that I want to say Qu- Queen's Gambit for the podcast again because I am an Anya Taylor Joy girly, and Queen's Gambit is kind of the the Anya Taylor Joy thing that I have not yet had the courage to surmount. Um, Wait, you haven't seen it? No, I haven't. Pray. Um, what? The I heck? know. We uh, could have just made that this month. How have you not seen this? We could have just been watching <laughs> Queen's Gambit. Two episodes of Queen Gambit a week. Okay. What, dude, I would rewatch that in a heartbeat. Holy smokes! I remember <laughs> when that one. Year. I was maybe, delighted. Maybe we do that next year. Um, and then what's left? Crown and Crown and Ted Lasso. Crown. I would say just watch the Crown. You know. <laughs> I'm not super interested in the royal family, nor its history. You know, Princess Diana is the only interesting person that came out of the royal family. And it took him five seasons to get to that part. And then uh, and we can let Ted Lasso win some awards. Okay. Well, um, he's going to get a second chance because in 2022, comedy that won, Ted Lasso. Drama that won, Succession. Limited series is White Lotus. This was last year. or you know the award season before this one. Yeah, so White Lotus is interesting because there's been a lot of debate on what limited series means now because like Moon Knight, I think it was even for this that the year that we're talking about right now. Moon Knight got nominated for best limited series and then they were like right after the nominations got announced, they were like, "But we might do a Moon Knight season 2." And everyone was like, then why are you in limited series? So what uh, was nominated then, was Inventing Anna, Pam and Tommy, The Dropout, Dope Sick, and then White Lotus. Um, it's isn't White, White Lotus this, is reoccurring, just different cast every season. Yes, yeah. So I guess that's how that show gets away with it. But even then, it feels like cheating. And for that reason, we will let it sit in. Watch on your own. Um, and then I guess. If we're going to put Succession in Watch on the podcast, that this would be the time to do it. Um, and then I guess Ted Lasso wins another award. Good grief. Cleaning up. And then finally, this one just happened. Comedy was The Bear. Drama was Succession. Limited series was Beef. I have no interest in Beef whatsoever. That Beef had a really big marketing push when that show came out. And I'm a fan of Steven Yeun. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to watch that show. I also like Ali Wong, not to like shut her out. I like her too. I just haven't seen her in as much stuff. Um, but for like all the marketing around that show made me like actively disinterested in it. Um, so that one you can just watch on your own time. Um, Bear, I'm going to say let it win its awards. So that way I don't have to watch it on the podcast and we'll just do succession again. <laughs> Good grief. We're watching a lot of success in Ted Lasso won awards. I mean, it is what it is. Emmys aren't really our thing. Peep us during Oscar season. We usually clean up. We just have Oscar episodes, essentially. Um, we might have a dedicated one this year. But that's Emmys. That's a little peep into what uh what we would talk about. I think the only show we've talked about is you, right? Do we talk about anything else? I've mentioned that I was watching Archer. I mentioned that I was watching Seinfeld. Yeah. You, in terms of like, like full episodes, then I think so. Yeah. We watched Over the Garden Wall on Small and Tall a few years ago, um, but Over the Garden Wall is 10 10-minute 10 episodes, 
So like it's practically just a chunked up movie. Um, but yeah, so those those would be the two. Um, but yeah, I remember when we started the show when mm-hmm. we started Permanent Good. Um, one of my old coworkers at my previous job started suggesting a bunch of shows for us to watch, and I'm like, you don't under you listen to the show. She listened to the show. Be like, you guys know we put out episodes still, every week, right? And you know that we're not we're like not doing TV shows. Yeah. And also, she was not suggesting great shows. She was suggesting like Anne with an E and Emily goes to Paris and I'm like, "Okay, if I am going to watch a show for the podcast, it's got to be one that's uber popular." Cuz like, I'm not going to wa- it has to be like in the zeitgeist. And again, limited series probably. I yeah, can't imagine us spending a lot Eight of time. 8 episodes or less. Pro- preferably yeah. four to six. Um, but yeah, that those are the Emmys. Uh, I don't know. Care about him or not? We're not your dad. He's your stepdad. I'm your stepdad, but I don't have any same. power. Talk to your mom. Um, for free balling. Do you want to talk? Do you want me to talk about the bad thing first or the good thing first? I'll let you choose. Oh, uh, let's do. Uh, start with the worst thing. We'll we'll work our way up to the bad things. Okay, so I watched Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. And this movie has been, I always get this movie confused with Jack Reacher because let me, let me describe for you the timeline and I might get some of the years, not exactly right, but like, you know where I'm getting at where like Jack Reacher is a Tom Cruise movie that came out in 2012. And then Jack Ryan is a Chris Pine movie that came out in 2014. And then Jack Reacher got a sequel in 2016 with Tom Cruise. So I frequently get those two titles mixed up because they are kind of the same thing. Um, but I watched Jack Ryan shadow recruit and this movie is bad. Um, so Jack Ryan is a Tom Clancy character and this is the first Jack Ryan. And I think it's also the first Tom Clancy adaptation to not be based on a specific novel. It's just like, here's an amalgamation of Jack Ryan in 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 his own story gang did not work did not work at all um in the first 12 minutes of this movie i'm not kidding you the first 12 minutes of this movie we see 9-11 on the news jack ryan signs up for the military he goes to iraq he's in a helicopter and gets into a helicopter crash that leaves him debilitatingly injured he goes through intense physical therapy and we watch him fully recover and we watch him get recruited into the CIA and start dating the girl he met in physical therapy. That is the first 12 minutes of the movie. <laughs> and that is <laughs> the most like succinct that that storytelling gets. Because the rest of the movie is Chris Pine trying his hardest to make Jack Ryan seem like a cool character. Because the way they approach this version of Jack Ryan is he is like a financial analyst in the CIA. And so he does some field work. He's a trained Marine, but he's not an action hero. He's a financial analyst. So so the action scenes in this movie are incredibly few and far between. He starts talking about numbers and like, um, the the weight of the dollar and the price of the dollar compared to Russia and conflated economies and i'm like i don't care did you watch jack ryan the show with john krasinski i did not so there's four seasons of that 
And it's another, yeah. it's the exact same. It's just like, you're an analyst. I get that you're a Marine, but like, dude, I'm a Marine. So, <laughs> so I'm not Jason Bourne, you know? And, and also Kira Knightley is in this movie and there's this like weird dynamic because Jack Ryan isn't supposed to talk, say that he's in the CIA. So like Kira Knightley thinks that he's cheating on her, but then like halfway through the movie, they just give up and he's like, I'm in the CIA. And she's like, Oh, thank God. So like they introduce this tension point just to resolve it halfway through the movie. And, um, overall it's just not good. Um, the action scenes are fine, but like I said, they're few and far between. I would not recommend this movie to anyone unless you're really trying to work your way through Kevin Costner's filmography. Um, this one, you don't, you're fine. Don't, don't mind this one. This one's like a four and a half. I haven't watched that movie since it came out and now I know, uh, I'm not missing much. I'm not nope. missing much. Don't worry about it. Um, I watched American pie for the first time. Okay. I Ooh. also have not seen this movie. That movie freaking sucks, dude. <laughs> it's so yeah. bad. I it feels like a rated R teen Nick movie. That's what it is. Is this the raunchiest movie that you've seen up to this point? No. I've okay. watched raunchier movies. This has I mean I, like sorry, I meant in your comedy in your twenty twenty four comedy no. journey. Nope. Okay. I've watched raunchier this is it has a uh three minute raunchy part. In the middle. It's literally, I think on my letterbox, it has like a boobs intermission. And then on both sides of it, it's dirty talk, but it's not dirty, if that makes sense. Like, it's gross. Yeah. I mean, there's some like nasty stuff that happens, but it's not like sexual. And at the very end, like, there's a whole moral of the story. What did we really learn? It's so stupid, dude. It's so and dumb. they made like six of these. Yeah, it's just because people tuned in for the boobs intermission, bro. But like, it's not funny. It, it feels older than it is. This is like early 2000s, late 90s. It, dude, it feels like an 80s comedy where like a bunch of guys are like, we have to have sex by prom. We're all virgins. And then they just go out and get girlfriends. <laughs> and one guy <laughs> joins choir and he's like, I actually like her. And like, what do you mean you like her? Be like, I don't know. She seems really sweet. It's so dumb, bro. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> it has small funny parts uh eugene levy freaking kills it um as a dad but like everyone else i'm just like couldn't could not care less it's it just feels like a regular movie just like a regular smuggler tv movie that just has a small section of boobs in it and then just swears all the time um yeah it's this is one of those like raunchy comedies that I, every time I look at it, I'm like, people talk about this movie. I should watch this movie at don't, some point. Don't and watch then, it. And that, yeah, this is, it's, that's exactly what I needed. It's, it's on the list because everyone talks about it. I don't know why. I think it just came out of time where like, it's just, it appeals to like teenage brain. The second you're not in it anymore. Cause it all takes place during high school, but it's, it's, it's not, uh, cause they're all old. Um, this, the second you're out of high school, you're just like, oh, this is just a dumb thing that high schoolers want to see. It's, yeah, do not recommend. I'm giving it like a three and a half out of ten. It's just <sighs> dumb. I watched Friends. So, I want to I wanna give my history with the Friends television show. Um, when I was in high school, I watched like three seasons of the show. Because when I was like a junior in high school, and I'm like, I want to get serious about like, media and people talk about 
Friends all the time. It's one of the most iconic TV shows. I'm going to watch it. I got three, I got three seasons in, which granted is pretty far. Um, and I could not bite. It was rough. I thought all the characters were super shallow. I didn't like any of the jokes and I just like did not connect with it. And so for the last like six years, whenever people talk about how good friends is, I've been like a little vindictive about it. I was the hater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Matthew Perry died, um, a lot of people were posting clips of friends like on TikTok and whatnot. And I found myself laughing at those clips way more than I thought I was going to. And so I'm like, do I need to give this show another chance? And so I did. I picked up where I left off. I picked up like early season four and that show is so good. Believe it or not, when you're watching a show about friends in their mid twenties, watching it in your mid twenties makes a huge difference (laughs) on how you relate to the content. Um, I feel like when you're not in it, you're just constantly looking into this, like, Oh, this would never happen. This has never happened. I don't know anyone who's gone. Yeah. And then you get in your twenties. You're like, I can see it. (laughs) And so the easy things to talk about is the show is genuinely funny. Um, there are some bits that haven't aged well, but not like, not like grotesquely. Um, so I, I was never super worried about that. Um, and what's super nice. Cause I was watching it on HBO max is I didn't do this often. I would do this like once every other episode is if there was a bit I didn't like, I would just skip 30 seconds. Cause then they're in a new bit. Yeah. And because, and cause the jokes are not necessarily plot heavy. I'm not, it's not like I'm missing anything. Um, so definitely do that. If, if you feel, if you feel like you need to, um, and the, t- the thing that I like most about this show, and this is like a real moment where it is, it was very nice. I think this show does a very good job at like skimming it's surface level, but it's still there of showing like non-traditional adult dynamics. Cause it can be very easy to be in your mid twenties and be like, all of my friends are married. They have kids. They're living with their partner. They have a good career, but like all of the characters of friends are in different places in their lives. And you know, the show ends and some of them still aren't in relationships and some of them don't get married until 32 and they don't have their kids until 35 and watching one of the most, one of the, if not the most popular show of all time and have them depict like healthy life pacing was very reassuring to me where like, I am not in 10 days. I am going to turn the age that they are when the show starts, when everyone is single, nobody has a good job. Everyone is broke. And knowing that I'm about to enter my friend's era is like I said, very reassuring. I also think and, it's popular for TV shows, though. Seinfeld's the same way. How I Met Your Mother's the same way. Like, I think those shows are almost for people who are living the traditional style to vicariously live through them. To be like, what would it have been like if I was just having fun with my friends all the time and not taking care of kids? Cause yeah. It makes for the most, I wouldn't say it's the most popular, but like nighttime television is all of that. Daytime sitcoms are all family. But like yeah, there's a reason sure. like the top five best sitcoms, dude, no one gets married to like the fourth season. Yeah. So I think that this show delivers very well on comedy. I think the show delivers very well on plot. 
Um, not every episode's a banger. You know, that's just the nature of having 236 episodes. Um, it's not perfect by any means, but I am so incredibly grateful I returned to that show because that show left a mark on me in a way that I wholly did not expect it to. This show is like an eight and a half. Gotcha. Wow. Wow. I guess, I mean, it's the reason it was successful, you know? Yeah. Um, I watched The 40-Year-Old Virgin with Steve Carell and a slew of other people. Jane Lynch, Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen. This movie's freaking packed full of people, dude. Um, And it's great. This movie's awesome, dude. If you like Steve Carell in The Office as Michael Scott, you would love this character for the first two-thirds of the movie. Because the last third of the movie is when they're like, okay, we've spent way too much time on jokes. We need to wrap this thing up. And right now, uh, this story is not... It It feels like they're tying up loose ends. Um, But the first two-thirds of this movie, dude, is just jokes. Some of them don't really hold up. And I, I don't view them as offensive. I view them as like... It's just not funny anymore. But I would say 85% of the jokes are hilarious. Paul Rudd's character, dude, every time he opened his mouth, I was dying laughing. And then, like, I think Steve Carell used this character to make Michael Scott less mean and more oblivious, if that makes sense. Yes, because this movie was in production after a few seasons of I The think Office, this, right? I think this was, like... End of season one, middle of season two of The Office. So it's still yeah, early on. Because people, so wor- people were worried that like he was going to leave The Office because of this movie. Yeah, he became a movie star. This is when he started getting in everything. And that's why a lot of the people in The Office, like in the show, wanted to become movie stars. I think, um, for instance, Dwight, Rain Wilson, um, started getting like jealous of Steve Carell and wanted to start having a movie <laughs> career. Like, he's like, this guy's making movies. How come all of our... I mean, then you got John Krasinski. You got uh, freaking... I can't remember anybody's name right now. But yeah, I mean, they all of them got big. That being said, in this movie, Mindy Kaling's in it. Freaking Jenna Fisher has like a quick cameo. Uh, that dude who works in the warehouse that's married to Pam is in this. Uh, there's a bunch of people in the office that you'll just see real quick have cameos. Um, it's, dude, the first two thirds of the movie is hilarious. Little raunchy. I mean, it's a 40-yard version, but it's so funny. It's so funny. And then the last third is, it just becomes a rom-com. But 100% worth your watch. If you're looking for comedies you haven't seen that everyone's talking about, this is the one you watch instead of American Pie. Oh, Unless yeah, you hate The sure. Office, I, in which I, case, this is going to be way too cringy for you to watch. <laughs> huh. And the last thing, and I'm only going to talk about this for a second, and you'll understand why. Um. Obviously, once I finished Friends, I watched the Friends reunion special they did two years ago. Yeah. Um, I watched that special when it first came out, just because I was kind of curious to see what it was about. Um, and I didn't understand anything that was going on. So rewatching it to say I'm rewatching it is generous because I don't remember any of it. Yeah. Um, it's hosted by James Corden, and I really I wish that. it uh, wasn't. Yeah, dude. Because so not only so the the way the reunion special was set up was it was a ro- rotating sequences of the cast just hanging out on set, the cast watching bloopers, the cast answering trivia, the cast um doing table reads of stuff and um interviews. 
And all the interviews were conducted by James Corden in front of a live audience. And I, he, I think he's just a bad interviewer because he was giving them nothing burgers of questions where it was like, where do you think your characters are now? I don't know, Jim. They're still married. What do you want me to say? Dude, it's just like, like I think he was just trying his best. Not, I mean, I'm sure they got you're dealing with six celebrities. PR must have been crazy, dude. I bet you all the good questions got screened out. Not that Corden asks good questions, but his writers probably threw some good ones in there. And I bet you all those got vetted <laughs> out. Got like screened out by PR being like, we're not answering any controversial questions that messes up syndication. These guys are still getting checks from this show. Um, but I mean, I'm not a Corden fan anyway. It's He just feels like yeah. too vanilla. But watching the cast all interact with each other was a very nice way to get like even more closure from the show because they are all naturally dynamic. They all genuinely care about each other. It was like being at a family reunion and it was cool to watch. Um, And they're just naturally funny. So, you know, you get a little, you get like one last taste of that friend style humor before it sails off into the sunset forever. So like if you have finished friends and you're like, I I'm afraid that the Friends reunion will ruin it. It doesn't. It's a nice little piece of nostalgia bait, but it scratches every itch. And the James Corden parts are short enough to where you're not. It doesn't ruin the whole thing. So if you yeah. haven't watched it yet, um, you know, it's it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I watched Killers of the Flower Moon because it's now on Apple TV Plus. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's very good. The acting is great. Uh, once you figure out what the movie's about, which you figure out in the first 25 minutes, it goes exactly how you think it's going to go. It's, and yeah. the problem, it's not even a problem. It's now you know where it's going to go and you have to sit there and watch it happen. And yes, acting is phenomenal. DiCaprio, watching him play someone who's not smart was like off-putting for a while. And then eventually you can get used to it. But I think I'm starting to see too many DiCaprio movies that now he's just playing. I can I can pick up on the the DiCaprio part of his character if that makes sense. Like I know the yes, things he. I definitely. I yeah. There's there's something that all his characters have in common, and that must be the DiCaprio part, and that is starting to bother. Yeah, me. and um, a a lot of people hyped up this movie by saying it's like the best DiCaprio performance of his career. It's not. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Actually, um, I don't know. I don't know if. I mean, Django, he's awesome. I think that's hard saying performance because so, so much of that depends on the movie. Is a good performance someone that's completely different than who you are in real life? Because at the end of the day, this guy's still American. He's still... No, I think at I, I, what I consider the best, when I think of somebody's performance is, are they doing their part to be a piece of this puzzle? Do they fit into the jigsaw that is this movie. Okay. And how think, smoothly is that done? Yeah, I mine, I would say 90% of what makes a good performance for me is do I believe you? And I believed him for the most part. But I believed Lily Gladstone 110%. Oh, if yeah. If I met her in oh, real yeah. life, I'd be like, I'm so sorry that they did that to your family. Because this happened yeah. to you for real. That was insane. I think she also benefits from the fact that no one had seen her before. So... Whoever she is, whoever she presents herself to be, is who she is now. Uh, also, we say 
no one has ever seen her before, not because she hasn't been in stuff, but the thing that she's most known for is a Showtime show. And if you know people from Showtime shows, then you have too much money. Yeah, you're freaking, you're deep into <laughs> cinema, bro, and, and everything. Uh, De Niro, I was pleasantly surprised, bro. I was nervous to see him in this. He's great. I liked him more than I liked DiCaprio. Until Di- DiCaprio in the last 30 minutes of the movie is awesome. De Niro yeah. is great the entire time. Um, I definitely want to watch that movie again because I did not resonate with De Niro's character the way that some people are. Like Even like you're talking about. Like yeah. De Niro's performance was not even in like the top five things that I enjoyed about that movie. Oh, yeah. I loved that part. Loved it. Um, this movie gets so much better when Jesse Plemons shows up that I know it's based yeah. off a book and the book is based off of the investigation. So it starts when Jesse Plemons shows up and then it walks you through it. I understand why Scorsese didn't start it from there, but that's when the, that's when I feel it gets good. That's when it earns the extra stars, the extra ratings or whatever that people are getting it. Cause that's when it, it's just so interesting. Um, Dude, I'm I mean, excited for us to do our Oscar episode. Yeah. We could do an entire Oscar episode just talking about this movie versus Oppenheimer. And I was and just I about to compare like, it to Oppenheimer too. Yeah. Because they're both historical. What I like about Oppenheimer more than Killers of the Fire Moon is telling a linear story over a long film time gets boring almost no matter what you do. It's, it is hard to keep the pace up. What Oppenheimer got to do was tell it non-linearly by jumping to his interrogation about his clearance, jumping back to the story, jumping to uh, RDJ's trial and jumping back. It just adds a little bit of spice to keep you in it. That being said, I'm on the record saying the last hour of Oppenheimer is borderline unnecessary. Um, Very good, very comparable. Um, I I mean, I loved them both. I'm going to give it a 8.25. Good. As it deserves. Yeah, 100%. Next week is our final week in catching Craig up on movies he should see. And we are going to be watching Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We were uh, we were going to watch Labyrinth, but they took it off of literally everywhere so they could re-release it theatrically. So blame capitalism for us not watching Labyrinth this week. Oh, well, going to kick that can down the road for a little while. Um, but until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mom I said hi. Why can I not find it? It's a popular movie. Why can't I find it anywhere? See you next week, I guess. Deuces.